if you've been here, uh, what you say, eight years, you've probably heard this sermon eight times. Uh, you know, in, in classes on church assimilation and, you know, church growth and all of that, there are several topics that they tell you, you ought to preach this once a year. And uh, this is the only one that I actually do that, is water baptism. It's the only sermon that I absolutely do once a year because it is such a profound act in the natural and in the spiritual. And every time I redo the word in preparation, I get something new. I always find that this word is relevant to the pulse of the Spirit in the church at any given time. And uh, I think you're going to be uh, catching, catching the drift of that uh, as we share in our, I don't know if you've noticed, our focus has been more on uh, pronouncing the name of Jesus and really focusing on the name of Jesus. And uh, we're just trying to break with the idea of being Christian, right? Now, that might sound strange in a Christian church, but I think I'd rather have a room full of Jesus lovers and Jesus followers than a room full of Christians, you know? And so there's this dynamic shift that's taking place, and we're not force-feeding it. We're just integrating it into teaching, into worship. You'll, you'll notice a change in the worship over the uh, someone wrote on Facebook the other day um, a little message to worship leaders in the church. What do you see the church as five years from now? Start writing songs about it now. The vision, so I want to say that to people who pray, intercessors. What do you see the church looking like in five years? Start praying that in now. Those of you in ministry, what do you see your ministry as five years from now? Start dealing with that now. Start acting like that's happening now. Don't wait for five years to come expecting that someone's going to drop something in your lap. Begin to move. You see, faith sees things that are not as if they already are. So you can do that, all right? So we're, we're in a transition. We're, we're shifting the course of our our boat here, little by little, to get on track with what we see the Spirit of God doing in very profound ways. And um, that is just kind of integrated in this whole teaching on, on water baptism today. And so water baptism is an ordinance of the church. It's one of the sacred, or what they call sacerdotal, not a nice word, sacerdotal duties. And, uh, you know, don't Say that to anyone unless you know what it is, because you might get yourself in trouble, okay? So all sacerdotal is is the sacred duties. We have two sacred duties uh, in the church. That is water baptism and the Lord's table, communion. Whenever you gather together to a more, you know, there I am in the midst of you, do this in remembrance of me. That's a sacred duty that Christ has given to the church Water baptism, going to all the world, preach the gospel, baptizing them. It's a sacred duty. It, it's something that comes from the divine and has been given over into the hands of men and women to do. It's a sacred duty. So uh, there are two of them, and we're personally commanded by the Lord to do them as part of establishing 
the church of Jesus Christ. In Matthew 28, 19, he says this, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now, baptisms is also listed in the book of Hebrews as one of the principles of the doctrine of Christ. Now, I want you to pay attention to, to the reading of this verse in Hebrews. Um, like I said, every time I rewrite this, I, I learn something. And what impacted me this time is the writer of Hebrews in the first century is calling these as the fundamental doctrines of Christ. All right, let me read this. We must try to become mature and start thinking about more than just the basic things we were taught about Christ. All right, so the writer of Hebrews in the first century is about to tell you what the basic things in Christ are. Right? Shouldn't need to keep talking about why we ought to turn from deeds that bring death and why we ought to have faith in God. And we shouldn't keep we shouldn't need to keep teaching about baptisms or about the laying on of hands or about be, people being raised from death. Did you catch that? In the first century church saw raising the dead as just a fundamental way of the church existing. You know, I mean, wouldn't you freak out if you, you know, in the mall and someone has a heart attack and they die on the floor and you run over and you put the hand on them and, in the name of Jesus, come back and they jump up and say, oh, good thing you were here, you know. Oh, it's just one of the things I do, you know. That's how it was in the first century church. I mean, these were the fundamental things that they participated in, you know. When was the last time you raised someone from the dead? Been a while for me. <laughs> like forever? <laughs> Gee whiz. You know? So we, we've, that's what religion has done to Christianity, all right? So, so what are the origins of baptism? First, under Noah, it was a universal event. In 1 Peter 3, uh, it says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey, when God's patience waited in the days of Noah. Now, you all, do you all know the story of Noah? Is there anyone that doesn't know the story of Noah in the ark? Put your hand up if you don't. Okay? The whole idea of the Noah building the ark was God flooded the whole earth. Everything died except eight people. That was a baptism. It was a universal baptism where God cleansed the whole earth, and only the righteous went on. Okay? In, under Moses, it was a national event. In 1 Corinthians 10, he says, For I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized into Moses, in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. So you all familiar with the story. Moses parts the Red Sea. Pharaoh's coming in behind Israel. They've left slavery, and they're going to catch up with them. And Moses lifts his hands. The Red Sea parts, and Israel passes through the Red Sea, 
leaving bondage and slavery behind and emerge on the other side as a free people and nation. That passing through the Red Sea was a baptism. It was an immersion. They were not the same people coming out on the other end as they were going in. And that's what baptism does, okay? And then in the New Testament, it's an individual decision. In Matthew 3, it says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you come to me. But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. There's two important things in that verse that we need to be aware of. Number one is Jesus called baptism a fulfillment of righteousness. In other words, it is a right thing to do. Something that is righteous is right to do. Okay? So Jesus said, this is a right thing for us to do. The second thing is heaven agreed with him. When he came up out of the water, it says heaven opened, the Holy Spirit came down, and the Father spoke. It's one of the few times in the whole Bible where you see the Godhead, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all active at the same time to the eyes of man. Okay? So very powerful things happen during a baptism event. So we find Jesus continuing the practice of water baptism in his own ministry in John 4. It says, Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John. Okay, so he was out there. Uh, this was a very active part of his ministry. And then, of course, the early church continued the practice. In Acts 10, uh, while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised, that is the Hebrews, who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out on even the Gentiles, for they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water from baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. Now, just a little side note. John the Baptist speaks of two other baptisms uh, that Jesus will perform. He says that, Uh, John answered them, all saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So in Acts 2, we see on the day of Pentecost, when it arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. Now, I'm going to break from the sermon here for just a minute. I want to ask Jim and June to come and give some testimony of what they experienced during that interlude 
when, when the Spirit of God was speaking to us. And Eric, I'd like you to come and read that excerpt. While the last song was playing, I was standing over near that speaker, and uh, all of a sudden, through the speaker, I heard this mighty rushing wind come through like it was in the Inuit, I believe it was, Inuit Indian Revival in Alaska. It sounded just like that coming through there, and I asked Dick and Eric if they did special effects in there, and they said no. I don't know if anybody else heard it, but I sure did. Did, did anyone else catch that? Okay. During the interlude, I uh, had a, the Lord gave me a vision of a heart, and it was void at the beginning. There was just this heart, and a spark came as if from heaven and ignited a small fire within the heart. And it kindled the fire, and the fire grew and grew in intensity until it was white hot, almost to the point where it was going to consume everything around it, just absolutely obliterate it. And then within seconds, the intensity of the heat of the heart turned into water flowing abundantly as the river of life flowing from that heart, an instant transformation from intense, intense heat to the river of life just gushing from the heart. So I was uh, discussing some of this with a uh, pastor the other day, and uh, a book I'm reading uh, has an account of a man, uh, Mel Tari, that is uh, out of Indonesia. Uh, it says in the mid-60s, so this is, in the 1960s, in case anyone was thinking like 1660s or whatever, so fairly current. But anyways, this man was involved in something in Indonesia. It says, in the mid-1960s, Tari was sitting in his Presbyterian church as people were praying when suddenly the Holy Spirit hit the place. Everyone began to audibly hear the sound of a mighty rushing wind filling the room. The village fire bell began ringing, and local firefighters rushed to the building. The church was covered in flames, but it was not burning. <laughs> Many were saved that day, and what began with a few dozen people would go on to impact that world. Uh, so, you know, 1960s isn't that far away for some of us. Uh, <laughs> you know, Light us on fire, Lord. You know, light us on fire. You know. So there are two, Im two important components to water baptism, which is what we're talking about today, which must clearly be understood so that we, we don't find ourselves in error. Number one is the method. How, how do you baptize someone? What do you do? Okay. There are actually three methods that are used in the church today. Not this church, but in the church universal. When I say the church any could be Catholic, Presbyterian, whatever. Uh, one of these three methods, uh, it might be sprinkling. They have this little sprinkler device, and they sprinkle it on the, on the baby's head. Or it might be pouring. You know, they hold, in the Catholic Church, they hold a baby over the basin. They 
pour water over their forehead. Uh, that's the other method. And, and then there is immersion. Okay? Uh, what we need to do is find out what the Scripture says. What does the Bible say about it? Okay? And how important is the difference? Okay, so in Acts 2, 37 and 38, it says, Now when they heard this, they were cut to their heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now the word there, baptized, in the Greek, is in Strong's Concordance number uh, 0907, um, the word is baptizo, baptizo, and it's a derivative of the word bapto, okay? So it means to dip repeatedly, to immerse, to submerge like a sunken ship, to cleanse by dipping or submersion, uh, to wash, to make clean with water, to wash oneself, to bathe, and this is the one I like, to overwhelm, to overwhelm. Now, not to be confused with bapto, the clearest example that shows the meaning of baptizo is a text from the Greek poet and physician Nicander, who lived about 200 BC. And it's a recipe for making pickles. Okay. What, you all don't make pickles? You are a pickle, that's right. Okay. So there's the proof. Okay. Nicander says that in order to make a pickle, the vegetables should first be dipped, that is, bapto, into boiling water. So we would call that blanched, right? Take boiling water, you take that cucumber and you blanch it, in and out, right? Okay, so that's what Nicander is talking about. And then baptized, or baptizo, in the vinegar solution. Both verbs concern the immersing of vegetables in a solution. But the first is temporary. The second, the act of baptizing or baptizoing the vegetable produces a permanent change. Produces a permanent change. When used in the New Testament, this word more often refers to our union and identification with Christ than to our water baptism, as in Mark 16, 16. He that believes and is immersed, or baptizo, shall be saved. Christ is saying that mere intellectual assent is not enough. It's not enough just to know this stuff. There must be a union with him, a real change, like the cucumber to the pickle. Okay? So if you're being water baptized later on today... We're going to pickle you. Now, here's the important thing for us in, in understanding this. When the Bible was translated into the English language, the word baptizo in the Greek translates to immerse. Anytime you see in the Bible, baptized, think in your head, immerse, immerse, okay? Here's the reason. It presented a major problem to the church in England because they didn't immerse as their baptism method. Right? So they were writing the King James Bible, 1600s. They're translating the Greek. And I mean, these guys were really, 
they would wash, they would pray, they'd have a word, you know, I mean, really into this thing. And then they hit this word, baptizo. And uh-oh, we have a problem, because it means immerse. But we don't immerse people when we baptize them. We pour water on their heads. Oh, what are we going to do? Right? Easy answer is change what you're doing. Right? Well, no, no, no. Can't do that. <laughs> Why well, rock the boat? So they created a new word. Isn't that nice? They created, they turned baptizo into baptized. Except the word baptized never existed until that moment. And they gave it a new definition. The intended meaning, meaning of the word baptized is a sacrament of initiation into the church using the element of water. It no longer means to them immerse. It's just an initiation right into the club. Okay. So when we see the word baptized after several hundred years, we automatically associate water to baptism. Okay. Well, let's see what that does to our theological thinking just in regards to one scripture, Acts 2.38. This is my old religious Bible. I have to keep it in this because if I take it out, it all falls apart. This has all my notes from as far back as Berean Bible College in the 1980s. All right? And uh, that's with the Assembly of God. And, and one of their big items is, of course, the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking, uh, receiving the baptism with evidence of speaking in tongues. And so we took this Acts 2.38 and really tore it apart, and we named it the seven steps to receive the Holy Spirit. That's what we saw Acts 2.38 saying. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So here's the seven steps. Repent and turn from your sin. Get water baptized, walk in obedience, desire the Holy Spirit, uh, submit to Christ as King, and receive the Holy Spirit. So we got those seven steps out of that verse, right? So here's a, a paraphrase answer to what, what we saw in Acts 2.38. What must we do? Repent of your sins, be water baptized, every one of you, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. But that's not what the Scripture is saying. Okay? Nowhere does it say repent from sin. It simply says repent. Peter says repent. It doesn't say repent from your sins, repent from a sin, repent from anything, just repent. So what's that mean? Repent means turn around. Think different. Act different. Okay? It means a change of focus. It's a change of mind. It's a change of heart. It's a change of direction. See, whatever course your life is taking, stop right there. Turn around. Okay? 
Then what? He says, repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. So if you read that, you automatically think, I'm going to go get water baptized, right? In the name of Jesus Christ. Uh -uh. Because there is no word baptized. The word is immerse. Immerse. Everyone say immerse. All right? So let me read it that way. Peter said to them, repent and be immersed, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. Think about what you just heard. And be immersed, every one of you, not in water, in the name of Jesus Christ. Be immersed into him. Turn from yourself and immerse yourself in him. Nothing to do with water. But because we've got this word baptize that directly reflects this idea of an initiation by water into the Christian club, that's what we think. So we can say this way now. Turn away from yourself and be immersed, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, and you receive the Holy Spirit. Immerse yourself in Christ, and you'll receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus even said, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will not testify of himself. He will only speak of me. The Holy Spirit is not as much concerned about you going into the water as he is concerned about you being immersed into the person of Jesus Christ. When you do that, at any given moment, whether you're in a desert or in the middle of the ocean, The moment you immerse yourself into Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit's going to show up and you will be transformed into a new creation. Immerse yourself in him. So we can see that a full understanding of water baptism must be based solely on the idea of baptizo. In other words, immersion. So let's quickly look at two examples in the scripture. Uh, Mark One, we already read that. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, was baptized by John in the Jordan, and he came up out of the water. That means he went down into the water. He came up out of the water. In Acts 8.38, the eunuch, uh, he commanded the chariot to stop. They both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and Philip immersed him, and when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. Okay, so... In both cases, we see a full immersion. Second important component is the formula. Uh, If you're being water baptized later on today, uh, we're going to take you about waist deep out there. We're going to turn you around. You're going to give a little testimony. And then we're going to have you hold your nose. And we're going to dip you back and totally immerse you in, in the water so that no part of you is in the air. You're essentially dead for a moment. You can't breathe. You, you have no control. We control you. If we don't want you up, you stay down. All right? uh, we got some big guys doing this, and they will kneel on your chest. All right? So essentially, you're dead. Right? You have no idea what we're saying when we do that. But I'm going to tell you what we're saying because the formula is important. What we speak over your life that you emerge up into is as important as the fact that you go down into the grave, okay? 
So this is the formula that we're looking at now. You have the form and the formula. Find that the first issue that the Apostle Paul had to deal with in the Corinthian church was this issue. Okay? 1 Corinthians 1. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and of the same judgment, for it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you. My brothers, what I mean is that each, of, each one of you says, oh, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius. So the issue that Paul had to confront immediately in the Corinthian church was, well, I was baptized in Paul's name. I was baptized in Peter's name. Well, well, guess who baptized me? You see? None of it meant squat. What Paul is saying, I didn't die for you. I'm not the one. It was resurrected for you. It isn't about me. It's about him. We've got to be united in this fact that you were not baptized in me, in Peter, in anyone except Jesus Christ. So the formula is very important. So what is the formula? Most of us would quote Matthew 28, 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them or immersing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. But if you look closely at this scripture in context, it is not a formula. It's a command. It's a commission. Okay? As a matter of fact, these scriptures are called the Great Commission. Once again, there's no mention of water. It simply says, immerse them in the name of. Okay? So I'll give you an example that might work a little better for you. Um, these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils. That's in, in Mark 16, right? So in my name they shall cast out devils. So you confront a demonically oppressed individual and you say, well, Jesus said, in my name you'll cast out devils. And so you get in front of you and say, in my name, come out. What do you think that's going to get you? <laughs> a lot of trouble, right? Probably get the crap beat out of you. Right? So what do you do? Say, in the name of Jesus. You follow the command. You don't repeat it. See, it's the same thing, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. If I say, I baptize you now in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, I've only repeated the command. I've not fulfilled it because I've mentioned no name. It's all title. It's only what Jesus told me to do, and that's what I have to do. Otherwise, no power to it. Just like, in my name, come out. What's that going to do? Nothing. See? You have to f fulfill the command, not just repeat it. Now notice in the commission, it is the name that is singular and not names plural. Okay? In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. So what's the name of the Father? John 5.43. This is Jesus speaking, so this is authoritative. I have come in my Father's name. 
I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you'll receive him. Okay? So Jesus comes in the Father's name. What's Jesus' name? Jesus. What's the Father's name? Oh, what about the Holy Spirit? In John 14, 26, again, Jesus speaking, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. In my name. Okay? So the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is the name Jesus. Okay? Let's take a look at the Great Commission as recorded in Mark 16. He said to them, go into all the world, proclaim the gospel to the whole creation, Whoever believes and is immersed will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. These signs shall accompany those who believe in my name. See, there it is, in my name. They'll cast out demons, they will speak in new tongues, they'll pick up serpents with their hands, and if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. Now, I don't want any of you going down to the pet shop when you leave here and buying rattlesnakes, all right, or getting, you're stopping at the pharmacy to get some arsenic, all right? That isn't, you don't tempt the Lord. But I can validate this scripture. When I was in Liberia in 1994, 93, and, uh, one of the things they warned us of, because the Civil War was going on, there was no, no electricity, no plumbing, no infrastructure at all. And they said, only drink bottled water. Don't let them give you a glass of water. If it doesn't come in a bottle, don't take it. Don't drink it. So we kind of you know, pressed out when we got there. And we were there for about nine days and uh, drinking these bottles of water, you know, and everyone's doing good. It's all fine. And uh, one morning, I look out behind the compound where I am, and I see the servant. There's a dug well, and she's got a bucket, and she's pulling the, the bucket out of that well, and she's got a, water bottles, and she's filling the water bottles. We were getting water in bottles, but it was coming from the well that they had pulled dead bodies out of. And we had been drinking this stuff for nine days, and nobody got sick. You see, God's hand of protection was there. You can drink something deadly, and it will not harm you. But you don't throw that back in God's face and say, well, watch this. Do your thing, man. You know, he doesn't operate that way. But if you need his protection, it's there for you. You know, same thing, Paul, when he, when he uh, crashed in that boat and he landed on the island, he's making a fire, and he reaches for what he thinks is a stick, and it's a poisonous snake, and it bites him. And everyone sits back to watch him die, and he doesn't. Right? He wasn't testing God. He was under God's provision. You, know? you serve an awesome God. You really do. But it's always kind of tripped me up, uh, this whole idea of those who are baptized shall be saved. You know, water baptism has nothing to do with your salvation. Because okay? if it did... Uh, we've made a mockery of, of a whole lot of people in, in Sudan who, you know, part of a hundred-year drought, they had no water. They couldn't be water baptized. And in the 1980s, tens of thousands of Sudanese men were nailed to crosses 
all across the Sudanese roads by, by the Muslim regime in northern Sudan. They were crucified for their testimony. None of them had been water baptized because they didn't have access to water. But they were so immersed in Jesus Christ that they could lay down their lives. Okay? Do you think they made it into heaven? I think so. Okay? So Mark isn't talking about water baptism. He's talking about being immersed into Christ. And okay? we've got to understand that. Acts 2.21 says, And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. What's his name? There you go. Acts 4.11. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The one name covers it all. It's the name of Jesus. Okay? So how do we apply this to water baptism? Let's look at the early church in Acts 10. Uh, we already read this scripture in, in verse 48, and it says, And he commanded them to be immersed in the name of Jesus Christ. He called for water. He took them down. He immersed them, and he baptized them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? And what is water baptism symbolic of? Romans 6, verses 3 through 5, he says, Do you not know that all of us who have been immersed into Christ Jesus were immersed into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by immersion into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in death, like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Okay. Was Jesus the same after the resurrection as he was before? No. He was far more. He was glorified. He was a picture of what he is calling us to. You know, if all you think Christianity is, is that you've been converted from being a sinner to a saint, you're missing the mark. Because what Paul is saying here, you go down into that watery grave, you come up into newness of life, just like Jesus did. So the disciples are locked in a room because they were afraid. All the doors and windows are bolted, and suddenly Jesus is standing there in the midst of them. Nothing open, no doors, no windows. He's just there. And they all say, oh, it's a ghost. He said, I'm not a ghost. Give me something to eat. Right? He's glorified man. It's a picture of what's in store. The power of the resurrection. You know, if we can apprehend being immersed in Jesus, you know, all of you who are going to be water baptized, I want, to, I want to just encourage you throughout the afternoon as you're preparing your heart and your mind, pay no attention to the water. Just consider this. Today, I'm going to allow myself to be immersed in Jesus. 
I'm going into that grave. I'm going to die to myself. I'm going to rise up in newness of life. I want to be a new creation in Christ. I want him to rule and reign in my life so that I am different. So I'll never be the same. I don't know if you get to walk through a wall, but that would be cool. Something good might happen. Galatians 3.26, for Christ Jesus, for in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith, for as many of you as were immersed into Christ have put on Christ. Wouldn't it be nice if everyone you met didn't see you anymore? They just saw Jesus. How awesome that would be. So what are the requirements? Mark 16, 16 says you've got to believe. Acts 2.38 says you have to repent. That doesn't say anything about sin. I no longer want to rule my own life. I'm not in charge anymore. Right? Be honest with yourself. We've all made messes. Some of us rule with an iron fist and with anger. Some of us rule our own lives with just burying ourselves under addictions. There's all kinds of ways that we rule our own lives. Give it up. Die to it. Tell him you don't want to be there anymore. You don't want to be in charge anymore. You want him. Lord, I'm going in. I'm going to die to me. Raise me up in newness of life. Make me new. Don't look at the lake. Look at the one who made the lake. And then Acts 2.41 says, receive his word, and he is the word. And the final thing I like to throw in there is expect a miracle. Expect a miracle. Uh, Jesus, you know, when, when he was baptized, the heavens opened, the Father spoke, the Holy Spirit was seen visibly. Who, you know, Jesus said the Holy Spirit's invisible, but in this occasion... You know, he was visible. You know, when, when Philip baptized the eunuch, it says, and he came up out of the water, and when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. You know, one second Philip is there, they come up out of the water, the Ethiopian eunuch shakes off you know, the water and clears his eyes, and Philip is gone. 500 miles to another city, he suddenly appears, starts preaching the gospel, and revival breaks out in Samaria. Right? Just like that. The Spirit caught him away. That would be awesome. Right? What a way to travel. Way back when, in the early 80s, uh, part of a uh, Pentecostal church, there was a woman in the church who had been struck by a car. She was getting the mail out of her mailbox, and uh, it shattered her hip, and they repaired all of that, and took about a year for her to recover, and when she was finally able to walk again, she went out to get her mail, and bang, she got hit again, right? And uh, they did the best that, that they could with her, but they said, you know, you'll, you'll never walk again. You'll be in the wheelchair. Uh, the x-ray showed a two-inch gap between her hip socket and, and the bone. And there was no way they could repair it. You're just in a wheelchair. She was, she was fairly old. She asked the pastor if she could be water baptized. And 
Uh, we did it in a church in one of those tanks under the altar, you know. And uh, about four of us had to lift her up and put her in. And she went down in the water. When the pastor brought her up, we were all waiting there to hold her. She jumped over the wall of the baptismal right by us and ran down and back on the aisle praising Jesus, right? Now, here's the thing. She went for x-rays, saying, I'm healed. You know, this is awesome. No pain, and I'm walking, I'm running. She went for x-rays. The gap was still there. But for the rest of her days, she continued to walk. She was just a continual miracle by the hand of God. See, she got a hold of something going into that water. So I can't live my life. I can't even get the mail. You know? And she surrendered to Jesus in such a real way that she could no longer had to live her own life. He even walked her legs for her. Expect a miracle. 